Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner, and BizSimply is the all-in-one HR workforce management rotate operation software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. So I thought, well, I really like hospitality financial leadership, but it doesn't really just sort of flow off your tongue. And I Googled that and I found absolutely nothing. But to me, what financial hospitality financial leadership is having a prosperous career. And in our business, we work really hard. We're always working the weekends. We're always working the holidays and we all want to get ahead. We all want to get that job where we have prosperity. And if you look up the definition of prosperity, it's not money, it's having time. Mm. And that's what I want for the people in our industry. I want us all to enjoy our careers and have more time with our family and our loved ones and our friends and our communities, as well as a great career in a great hotel or a restaurant. But having that financial leadership leads you to prosperity. This week, I welcome back David Lund, the hotel financial coach. And I'm super excited about this conversation because one of the critical things I believe I learned early on in my leadership career is actually how does the, the cockwheels of a PL works and how to actually combine all the right behavior to change that PL so we become profitable because no profitable business, no impact. And this time we visit his new book, The Prosperous Hotelier, a guide to hotel financial literacy. We dive into why he wrote the book and the journey he's been on to make it happen. David explains what hospitality financial leadership is and why it's crucial in hospitality in today's challenging market. He gives great practical examples of what great looks like when it comes to hospitality financial leadership. He also gives a number of practical and detailed view cases on how leaders and businesses can change their financials and how you connect your finance strategy and plans to the wider business strategy. We discussed the importance of learning your people financial literacy on all levels of the business and how giving them total transparency to your financials slash PL can be a total game changer for your business. If you want to get more insights on what Maverick leaders know and do, as well as more backstage info on the show, sign up for the weekly newsletter Maverick Talk, five minutes each week that could transform your leadership and business forever. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com and sign up there. If you want an impactful and profitable business, this conversation is for you. Enjoy. So today we welcome back a guest we had on some a while ago, and we were talking about profitability in hospitality and profitability in hotels, and we had a really good conversation about that. And then uh, David was the guest decides to write a book. I'm going to come back to, it's a journey to write this book. I can tell you, 
for the write this book. And he he's very kind and asked me to put a couple of words in. And I'm reading the, I think it was the draft. I don't think it was the final version, but I was like thinking, okay, if hospitality people get this book in their hand, hospitality is going to be a better place because you all know out there. One of the things I'm very, very passionate about is that we have to do business for good. We're taking care of our people, community, and the planet, but we have to be profitable. And we have to understand how we make profitable businesses. And one of the things I discovered in my career was that I really didn't understand how the PL worked, but we talked about that last time. This time we're going to discover David's book and what he'd learned with that and some of the principles in the book. So welcome back to the show, David. It's a great pleasure to have you. Thank you, Michael. It's, it's wonderful to be here. And uh, I think it's just, Amazing that you're all the way across the pond, as we say, and uh, I guess on both sides, but um, yeah. it's great to be here with you and uh, your audience. Absolutely. Thank you. David, for people that haven't listened to the first one, we'll show that, throw that link into the show notes so they can go back and listen to that great conversation about, you know, profitability and hospitality, but just give a bit of an, an overview about you and your background. And then I think it eventually will lead into to write. you decided to write a book. Yeah. Well, I grew up in a small town in Atlantic Canada that had a summer resort. And kind of by a twist of fate, I ended up working there when I was 19 in the bars and uh, the restaurants and uh, kind of fell in love with the business, went to hotel school. And then I ended up working for the same company for the next 31 years, which uh, was Canadian Pacific, but it became Fairmont in the late 90s and worked all over Canada and also in the States and San Francisco. But I got off the merry-go-round, so to speak, 10 years ago and started my own business, The Hotel Financial Coach. And that's how the book ended up uh, com coming to be through that whole evolution. And uh, yeah, that's kind of my story. And... and Coming back to, you know, the book, and I think it is really important. What is David, because you, you have a very, you know, in my view, a very clear purpose, but what is your purpose, what you're doing now? Because you've been doing this for 10 years. Yeah. In my view, to do any kind of start out as a coach or consultant kind of gig, lots of people yes. do that. You have to have a very strong determination as well purpose. Yeah. So what well, is the purpose? I, I like to say I have a dream, you know, and my dream is that you know, everybody in hospitality understands their numbers, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, in our business, we expect everybody to be of service and we expect everybody to be good leaders and, and good stewards of our colleagues, look after them, but we kind of forget about the business of hospitality and we, by design, don't train our employees on the numbers. And I think that's what's wrong with our business to a large extent. And that's my personal mission. My dream is to change that. Because the numbers are not anywhere near as scary as everybody makes them out to be. And, you know, as my mother used to say, David, you're not the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer sometimes. You know, if I can figure it out, anybody can. And I sincerely mean that. And I see it all the time when I work one-on-one -on -one with people and work in workshops. I see the lights come on all the time. Yeah. So that's my purpose. And uh, it keeps, keeps me going, keeps me getting up every morning. Yeah, and I think since we did the last interview, which I'm quite certain was in the middle of the pandemic when I was back and looking last week, I think it was the middle of the pandemic. We already talked at that point, it's going to be very skilled. It's going to be, you know, financial skills as always in business, have we said. And I think it was a bit of greenwashing. We said as leaders, we're good at it. And I think it was very much by luck sometimes, depending on your boss was in hospitality. You learned and because I was very lucky to be put through the McDonald's system and the manager route in there, 
eventually you learn about productivity and PL because you're going to be asked about it every, every month by your boss. So therefore you, <laughs> you will have to learn every line and understand how you contributed to it. But lots of people don't do that and then you come out and get them, uh, you become their boss and then you find out I actually have to train. And that's actually where you become really good at PL when you have to train other people. That's, that's a different conversation. But yeah. really interesting then, that purpose now have led you to, to write this book. Why a book? Because, you know, that's quite yeah. an endeavor. You, you can just do your, you know, your webinar and your coaching and so on. Right. Still do that mission. But why a book? Well, it's kind of an extension of my, I've been writing a weekly blog since uh, 2016. And I was kind of forced into that in that, uh, you know, early on in my coaching career, things weren't going that well. And uh, maybe year three, I hired a lady. Her name is Debbie Allen. And her, her thing is she calls herself the expert of experts. And she mm. creates brands. And uh, part of her program was I had to write, she said, uh, we're going to call it the seven secrets of, and David, you fill in the rest. You need to go write that. So I wrote the seven secrets of creating a financially engaged leadership team in your hotel. She goes, that's too long of a title. I said, I don't care. That's what it's got to be. But I realized through that process that I had a voice and that I had something to say and thoughts about our business and how we do things. and. So from there, I just took one of those chapters and I sent it to a bunch of hotel publications, online publications and magazines, and it, it got published a few weeks later. And I thought, well, gee, that wasn't too hard. So I started writing and I kind of got bit by the bug big time. And, uh, I've been writing, you know, most weekday mornings, I'll get up at 4.30 or 5.00 AM and grab a cup of coffee and write something. And it's kind of like my meditation or my, it's my, it's my running. It's, it's my thing that sets my day off. And I know when I haven't written something and I'm not having a great day and I'm, you know, cranky or something, it's, oh, it's because I didn't write today. So, you know, the book was just it. And, and I talk about it in the, in the book, it's just a compilation of those blogs organized in a fashion that kind of takes the reader on a bit of a journey through the whole landscape of what I call hospitality, financial leadership. And then I guess it took you some years then, because you, I guess you didn't, I don't know if there was an intent of a book straight away, but you know, from yeah. other conversations, I know you, 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 you spent quite a long time putting the book together. Six years from the fir first time I put it together and circulated it to try and get it published until it was published this May, uh, it was almost exactly six years to the date. And, uh, you know, through that process, you know, in the early goings, I didn't even get declined. I didn't even get a response from people about publishing it. And it wasn't until I met a friend of a friend who was a publisher that he actually looked at it, but he rejected it outright the first time after looking at it for, for not very long. And then uh, one thing led to another and. I kind of talk about it a little bit in the book and I mention her, but my, my grade four teacher, grade three teacher in school sent me a note because she had read one of my blogs on Facebook and said, oh, it's so cute, David, Linda, I remember you, blah, blah, blah. One thing led to another and she offered to read the manuscript and give me her feedback. And, and I had to mail it to her because she says, I'm not going to read that on a screen. And I was in California and she was in New Brunswick, Canada, and I mailed it to her with 40 bucks US for the return postage. And about two months later, I got it back and it was full of post-it notes and 
highlights and a big cover letter. And the cover letter basically said, David, I don't know who you're writing this book for. You don't have an audience and you need to weave your audience through every chapter. And I was kind of like uh, crestfallen or whatever, you know, heartbroken. But you know, one thing led to another. And one day I woke up and said, you know, she's right. This sucks. I can do better than that. So I rewrote it and gave it back to the same publisher who denied it before. This is probably, you know, four years ago. And uh, he came back a couple of months later and said, yeah, I'd like to publish your book. Mm. And, um, but that was, uh, and he sent me a contract and the contract was dated March 10th, 2020. <laughs> so we know what happened on March 12th. The whole world yeah. shut down and he shut down too. And he said, I'm not touching anything in the hotel world or even publishing for a long time. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't until early last year that he reached out and said, let's get this going again. And he hooked me up with, uh, with my editor, Chris. And, uh, then we started at it again. And about halfway through last year, I said to Chris, we have to stop because this sucks. I don't like this book. It's not organized the way I want it. It's not every time we go through a chapter, I'm going, that was already in the other chapter. And there's so many things were just wrong with the book. So I rewrote it again. And by that time I had written a lot more stuff that I thought was better and more congruent with the whole, whole idea of the book. So I swapped out a lot of stuff and ended up with what you have in front of you today. And then it was on to editing it, which is painful. Very painful. <laughs> I tell you, it it's not, it's not fun editing your own stuff and trying to explain to someone who doesn't understand your business, all the stuff that you've written about. And he pushed me really hard to make it, you know, grade so that a grade three or could understand it. So the way he kind of expressed it. And I pushed back a lot on that. Cause I said, people reading this will, will understand what I mean by Revpar. He goes, no, they won't. I go, well, you're the editor. I guess you're right. <laughs> um, well, and I think, I think that's often, you know, when you're the lingo you're talking in, you're, 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 you're presumed that people understand. Um, yeah. yeah. And lesson learned for me, but, you know, looking back on it now and getting the feedback from people that have read it, I'm really glad that we took six years to write it. I rewrote it twice, rewrote it three times and just happy with the final result. It's well worth Imp it. Impressive. It's a like, like, you know, a lesson that comes out of that for you, uh, in life or in business. Well, like, don't give up. Growth. Don't give up. Yeah. You know, that. with, with, with anything in life. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you're willing to work for it and that's what my dad always used to say to me, David, you can do anything as long as you're willing to work for it. Yeah. But that's, that's the hook is you got to be willing to work for it. And I would tell my kids the same thing. I have three daughters and, uh, I think it's just, that's the way the world works. You know, there's nobody just coming out of the womb that has the talent and all the answers or, or, you know, is the breakthrough. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And you know, just to give people a bit of an idea out there, you know, Chip Conley endorsed it on the, on the front page. We had Chip Conley on the show number hundred, uh, and he is definitely an experienced gentleman in, in the hotel world and very successful business person that yes. moved on to Airbnb and now doing the modern elder. Academy, both in Mexico and in the US. So yeah, so definitely a, a book worth. But now we're going to dive a bit into the book because we talked a bit about last time again. But I, th I can see that your your concept around hospitality, financial leadership has evolved a bit. So so what is this? Is this about and why is it important, David? Yeah. Well, 
as you know, and as you mentioned, like the finances are a cornerstone of obviously our business and we have to be profitable for us to continue to exist. That's just the way it works. But, you know, when I started my, my journey, I Googled financial leadership and I got nothing. So I thought, well, I really like hospitality, financial leadership, but it doesn't really just sort of flow off your tongue. And I Googled that and I found absolutely nothing. But to me, what financial hospitality, financial leadership is, it's about having a prosperous career. And in our business, we work really hard. We're always working the weekends. We're always working the holidays and we all want to get ahead. We all want to get that job where we have prosperity. And if you look up the definition of prosperity, it's not money, it's having time. Mm. And that's what I want for the people in our industry. I want us all to enjoy our careers and have more time with our family and our loved ones and our friends and our communities, as well as a great career in a great hotel or a restaurant. But having that finan financial leadership leads you to prosperity. Yeah. And it's like yeah, understanding the mechanism of how you build a great financial system. I think it is often, if you understand it's a tool to get more time, then you suddenly, you suddenly look at finance in a very different way. Then it's just not for profit. It's of course yeah. the outcome and the profit gives you the, the, the freedom yeah. as you stay between the line. How do we, uh, how do you get started? Achieve? Because that's great. Let, let me have some of that. People yeah. probably, so, so how do you get started with achieving well, that? Imagine you're, you know, the assistant front office manager in a 250 room hotel and you've been working in the hotel business for five years and you can kind of see a path in front of you. You've been working hard on your service skills and your colleague engagement skills. You're dedicated, but you also know that, you know, the financial piece is missing. So what do you do? Well, talk to your boss, talk to your boss's boss, talk to HR, talk to somebody in accounting, talk to the controller. Ask for help. Say, hey, can you explain this report to me? Can you show me what this means? I know I get it all the time and I see that there's a couple of things on here that I get, but the rest of it, I don't understand. Be curious. Our business is all about developing people. Mentorship is, is huge in the hospitality business and the same can be applied and, and should be applied to the numbers piece. Everybody needs to get, you know, someone helping them along their path that can explain why we do what we do with the information we have, because it all means something. It all leads to something. And if you can get that into your DNA as a, a young leader or even a more experienced leader who wants to, you know, take their career further, that's the fuel. But you have to be curious. People aren't going to just come up to you and grab you by the ear and say, come on, Michael, let's go learn numbers. And I experienced that firsthand. I had had many young leaders that would come to me in the hotel and they had to do a budget or something for the first time. And they would say, can you help me? I'd be sure. Come on, sit down. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to look at. Go do that. Come back next week and then show me what you came up with. And probably 80% of them, I would never see them again. <laughs> but the, the 20% that, that took the effort to figure out what was in their expenses or, you know, their staffing guide and their formulas for productivity. They figured it out pretty quick and how to read the P&L and, you know, how to write a good commentary and how to talk about the numbers. And it's something, it's like, like golfing. If, if you, you know, if you want to learn how to golf, you got to get out there, you know, two or three times a week and swing that club. It's the only way you're going to learn. You're not going to learn it by watching TV or reading a book. Uh, you got to practice and 
you're going to hit a lot of wall, balls into the water and a lot of balls into the woods. That's just what it is. And that's what it is with your numbers too. But through all of that, you will cross the bridge and you will look back and you'll say, well, I have no idea what the big fuss was about with my numbers because it's pretty easy. It's pretty straightforward. And I hear that from people all the time that, that have crossed that bridge that know their numbers. And that's my experience too. There was a day when I didn't understand it and I thought it was a big mystery, but it's not. So you talk about the 20% of the young leaders that came back. And I guess these are the people that really, you know, they, they live and breathe. Uh, you know, financial leadership and uh, well, how do they look how, when you're in the room with a person? How can you actually, when you're like trying to spot somebody that's really good at this, yeah. really have the, the, you know, the elements of what you describe in the book, how, how yeah. does that look? How does that feel? Well, you know, the, the way I could tell it's not so much in the room, but if you're walking down the hall and in, in the hotel in the back spaces and they see you coming, usually they turn around and head in the other direction because you're the controller and you're the big bad wolf and you're going to ask them for something. You're going to ask them, okay, Hey, where's that report I was looking for? Where's that uh, submission? Where's your, where's your accruals? Where's your expense report? You know, but the ones that would say, Hey, David, did you get my submission? What did you think? That, that's where the light comes on because they want to engage with you. They want to get your help. They want your feedback. They want to follow you. That's the clue. And what happens in an organization when you start to get not just one, but a team of leaders that understand, mm. you know, the whole mindset around. Yeah. That's the magic. What, 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 hap what, what have you seen when you work with people and you write a bit about it in the book as well? What are the typical, the, the traits that's happening in that organization? Yeah. I mean, if you've got a hotel and the general manager is going to hold every department manager accountable for their guest service and their colleague engagement scores and their numbers, that's the perfect formula because everything else will fall in line. Uh, and I write about that in, in the book and I, the chapter is called the general manager's yardstick. And that's how it mm. was explained to me. And I had the privilege of working with one gentleman who, you know, my initial thoughts about him, he was, he was Scottish and kind of stingy and a little bit mean maybe, but I thought he was, you know, a bit of a, bit of a tyrant, but turns out he was actually, you know, a really good manager. And he just was uh, fascinated with making sure that all of his managers understood what was in the middle of their statement. They didn't have to understand accounting. They didn't have to understand, you know, how to do a journal entry or anything crazy like that. But just tell, tell me what's in this line on your expenses. It says guest supplies. Well, it's $40,000 for the year. What did you buy? Mm. And he would just stop talking. And if you didn't have the answer, he would say, go find out. It's, he would say, it's not rocket science. And he was right. And we ended up preparing a budget for the hotel that year based on his, you know, demands of all the managers and everybody grumbled at the time. But the following year, we had a great result because all the managers knew what was in the middle of their statement. So, so that when, you know, we're not making our top line revenues, they knew what they could throw off the ship. They knew what they could, uh, you know, uh, finesse. And that's really what it's all about is, is understanding what you have to play with and what you can, can go without, what you can stretch a little further when you need to. And also on the flip side, when times are good, what can I buy a little bit more of so that when, you know, uh, the wind starts blowing, uh, I've got a little in the closet. 
Yeah, and it's very interesting that recession. What what's typical are the beliefs around finance you have met? Like what typical are the beliefs which you're not the controller or you're really yeah. bought into it? Then you well, believe this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But number number one wrong belief is that the numbers are the hard part of hospitality. They're not. Mm. Number two is that it's scary that, you know, yeah. I need to go to school to figure this out or I need uh, you know, to take a a, a course or something like that. Having a guide is sure. That's, that's the, that's the fast way is having a mentor or a guide, but you know, you know, the whole idea that, that the numbers are a mystery is just a myth. That's all it is because the numbers aren't the difficult part of hospitality. And, you know, I would say, read the book and, and you'll see what I mean, but you know, just go on my website and read some of my, my blogs. I explain everything. It's, it's. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things you explain in here, and I was sit, sitting and reading it because I just had a business conversation about recently to just find here, find the right chapter here. Yesterday, you talk about the PNL versus the asset statement, you know, what is what, you know, and yeah. why. Where, where does the number needs to, to match? And I think a lot of people, when they see the balance sheet, don't really understand the connection between the assets and the P&L and why it's important, you know, your, your net profit and where you go and read, because yeah. then you know, actually you're in balance and you actually got all the, all the lines correct. And I think that was one of the, that took me a long time to explain in an end of year results, why that needed to be like that. And that was actually to somebody that does bookkeeping. Uh, yeah. like that it has to has to add up and actually what is missing is the shares of the business is not accounted for and i only yeah. knew that because i've had basic well, training you know i'm i'm actually not a real accountant i'm a hotel person that ended up you know doing some some courses basically but i don't have a cpa or cga or cma or whatever you call it but you know by design i think the accounting industry makes things more mysterious than they really are because when you boil down the relationship between the balance sheet and the income statement it the retained earnings that links the two together and when you think about you know the basic financial equation assets equal liabilities you know plus or minus shareholders equity that sounds like quite a mouthful but you know think about your house your house is the asset. Maybe it's worth a million dollars. Your liability is your mortgage. It's probably 600,000. So what's your equity? It's the difference. It's 400,000. Well, that's the balance sheet. And if you think about your own world and every two weeks you get a paycheck, you pay all your expenses, you pay your mortgage, you, you know, do everything you need to do with your money, but you have a little bit left over. So you invest it in your 401k or RRSP or whatever it is. And over time, you build up a bit of a nest egg. That's actually just your equity. That's your net worth. It's exactly the same in business. But, you know, you would never hear, you know, somebody from KPMG or, or, or PwC explaining it that way because they would talk about, you know, you know, all the different stuff that they need to talk about and make it yeah. sound really complicated. Yeah. But it's and not. I think all that. I don't think that's a lot of what happens with financing and investing and raising money. It becomes all this lingo that just confuse business leaders, founders, CEOs, even I've seen CEOs that's, that doesn't really understand what makes up the productivity sometimes. And, you know, you can see they guided by the CFO and the CFO is not right. 
and and actually you know understanding that productivity is actually about something the the amount of training you put in your people that's actually the biggest impact you can do on productivity that's this misconception that it's yeah. about the technology or the tools you get them which of course has an impact you talk about the the three pillars of hospitality and i thought that was really interesting because actually i agree with you as soon as you learn the, the basic and the foundations of numbers and understand that this is a universal language, actually the really hard part of a business is the three pillars of hospitality as you have in the book. Can you, you talk a bit about them and why it's so important to understand that in connection yeah. financial so leadership? A, the, the three pillars are something that I talk about all the time, but it's the guest, it's the colleague, and it's the money. And in our business, we always say, you know, uh, our most important asset our, our employees, many companies talk about that, but we all know that guest service and providing great guest service is the cornerstone of our business. So if we can combine great guest service with great colleagues, we're going to create great experiences for our guests. That's what it's all about. And that will lead us directly to more money. But at the same time, we have a myth that, you know, the money, look after the guests and the money will look after itself. How many times have you heard that in life, right? Well, that's not true. The money never looks after itself. We need all of those leaders and managers to be able to manage their department and manage their money because a great hotel is the sum of its parts. It's all those departments. You know, in a big hotel, you can have, you know, 10, 20 different departments and, you know, 30, 40 leaders. Even I've worked in hotels where they've had over 100 leaders. They all have a part to play. Everybody needs to be looking after their guests, looking after their colleagues, looking after their money. And what do we mean by the money? We mean managing their expenses and their payroll. Maybe some revenue if they have revenue in their department, but that's what they need to be able to do. And they need to be able to juggle all three of those balls every single day. It's never going away and it's never going to be perfect. Everybody thinks money and numbers, there's an answer. Well, you know, the only thing we know for sure about the budget is it's wrong. It's never right. It's super so, interesting you say that. Uh, I just gone through some financial modeling in a business we are raising money, and everybody's so obsessed about that model has to be correct. And da, 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 da. of course, we need to understand it, and all the input has yeah. to be realistic. But again, you know, and then you go out and you start showing the model when you ask, which you very rarely ask by investors, because they know that it's not going to be whatever you projected. It's right. going to either be a little bit worse, <laughs> something yeah. in the middle, or really off. And very, once in a while, it goes way above expectations. So yeah. I love to work with the team over at BizSimply because they are always striving to get better, 1% better every day. So I had to share this with you because BizSimply have launched a new broadcast which highlights some of their favorite Hospitality Maverick podcast episodes over time. And if you're a new or hardcore super fan of the show, this is a perfect opportunity to catch up with some of the standout episodes from our massive back catalog. The Simply team has and will be extensively transcribing interesting moments from each episode while providing some new insights on our brilliant guests, the Mavericks. There's already some great write-ups with Mavericks like Chef Santel Nicholson and the co-founder of Singerman's Community of Businesses, Ari Weinswein. Find them at bizsimply.com slash blog 
and click Blockcast on the right side menu. Enjoy. There's a the basic misunderstanding in our world, and I think this is in all business, is that you know we all studied math in school, and there's always a right and wrong answer to a problem. We extrapolate that into the business world. And sure, we want to have good results and we want to have accurate numbers and we want to have budgets that make sense. But the whole idea that there's an answer that you need to get to that's correct, that's bogus. Because like you said, the only thing we know for sure is going to be higher or lower, right? So it's never right. Uh, it's just a plan with like a map with numbers. And on that map, we're going to a destination. Yes, but hey, we might take a few detours to get there. We might end up a little north of it or a little south of it. We still know where we're going. We still have that as our target. But the idea that there's a, an answer like an algebra problem is bogus. Yeah, and I think also, I think a lot of what I've learned, you know, in my last couple of years of business is it's about positioning uh, everything. It's not about, when I talk about positioning, I'm not talking about just positioning the brand, but it's also positioning your strategies. And actually being agile around that. So you actually, what you do with the numbers is that you, the numbers become the reflection of how you position yourself as a business and what you believe is possible with all the brand, the people strategy, it all comes together. You can might be able to deliver these results, but you might need to position them in a bit different because suddenly inflation happens and things get 20% more expensive on food costs. And therefore your business yeah, really changes. And we're always going to be facing that. We're always going to have those challenges inside of our um, business, inside of our hotels, inside of our restaurants. We want to prepare for what we think is going to happen and get everybody organized so that they know what resources they need and what they have and what they don't have. But like you said, we don't know what's around the next quarter in our worlds. That's just the way it is. But we want to be prepared. And I, you know, I firmly believe that that's one of the biggest challenges in hospitality is that people are not organized and they're not ready. Uh, they fly by the seat of their pants. They hope for the uh, healthy top line and that just is going to generate, you know, profits at the end and, and that'll be good enough. But it, it doesn't work its best when we do it that way. When we get lucky, things are okay. But as you know, when we hit some headwinds, you know, that's not going to, it's not going to save the day. And it's really interesting that what you're saying as well, it's also my experience is that the, it's the exercise of doing this together and not being focused on having a specific outcome. And we have to get that outcome no matter what. We all agree this will be the ideal world, but we can then navigate from there. But it's really interesting you say, and that's still you feel the, the second thing you talked about is that we are not organized enough. We are not spending the time on planning or positioning, as I call it, enough. We're still reacting is that something you still see on the other side of the pandemic because i was a bit like in the hope that totally this is the, that's the yeah, learning we, you got out we of always re we always repeat the same mistakes in hospitality when things are bad we say well, we're never going to let this happen again and then when things get good again we go right back to where we were before which is flying by the seat of our pants and not having the kind of planning in place like a detailed budget or detailed rolling forecast or staffing guides and uh, zero-based expenses, all the things that I talk about in the book, we don't do those things because, you know, money's coming in at the top and money's coming out at the bottom and things are going to be okay. And the best time to, you know, get organized is when we are busy, not when, you know, 
the ship is sinking because when the ship is sinking, there's nothing to do anyways, but you know, throw everything off yeah. of it anyways. Right. That yeah. doesn't take a genius to figure that out, but how can we figure out inside of our business when we're really busy and we know volume hides a multitude of sins, what could we do be, be doing better? So do your, do your review, do your uh, planning uh, when things are busy, when you can take the time and have the resources to do them. Don't wait until you're taking on water to figure out how to, you know, sail smoother. It doesn't, doesn't work very well that way. Yeah, and it actually leads very much to the next question because in here, the book also, you have some, some great examples of people that has taken this approach and work with lots of the, the advice you're giving. Can you talk a bit about a use case for, we can take food costs, we can take labor costs, which probably are it's really high on people's agenda right now. And I think revenue management will come again because it seems like the world has just got a bit more uncertain again last week. And yeah. What, 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 what would you choose? And you can make your own choice, David, but like give an example of how do people actually work with this differently than they normally would when they work with your method? Yeah, well, I'll give you the example of food costs. So, you know, I write a chapter in the book about uh, food costs and the 80-20 rule. And the theme throughout the book is is really, you know, there's nothing in that book that I really created. I've put my own spin on things. I tell stories about what I've learned, but I say, I didn't say in the book, but I, I firmly believe this. It takes a community to write a book. So I just took all of the ideas that I've learned over the last 40 years and put them in the book. But yeah. the 80-20 rule of food costs is a great example. So I learned that from a, a good friend of mine who was an executive chef. He's now a general manager. And he said, you know, David, like 80% of the food I buy is 20 things. I said, yeah, whatever. He said, no, it's true. Let me show you. So we actually figured it out. And this was a big hotel. And, you know, I think it was maybe 78%, but he was spot on. So he says, all we do, all I focus on is every month between me, the catering team and my sous chefs and, uh, you know, the banquet captains, whatever, we have a meeting every week. And once a month, we, we pick a new item that we're all going to figure out how we can be more efficient with that item. And he mm -hmm. gave me the example of orange juice. And it was one of the top items we buy in the hotel. And we buy like, you know, $200,000 worth of orange juice a year or something crazy like that. And yeah. he said, he went back to his supplier. His idea was, uh, can you not give me a bigger container than a two liter container? And if you can, I want a lower price. So the, the vendor, you know, did their magic and came back a few weeks later and they had a five liter container and we actually ended up saving 6% on the orange juice. So 6% of $200,000 is 12,000 bucks, just like that. Yeah, and that was every not month, a hard, hard, hard discipline no, to do. No, it's not. And, and people love to come up with ideas. People love to be the one who can ring the bell, right? That's just our competitive nature, but we make it fun. We make it interesting. He kind of, you know, piloted the, the, the project around the, a different item each month and you know next month it's going to be ground beef and after that it's going to be you know romaine lettuce or whatever it is but you know work work with your people because we all have ideas and it's not just the chef coming up with the idea as to how to save money on the food cost uh maybe it's going to be the director of banquets i use the example in the, in the book the director of banquets came back and said you know i don't know why we're buying triple a 
tenderloin. I buy, you know, single or, or double at home and it's so much cheaper. And I can't tell the difference. My wife can't tell the difference. So they did a taste test and the chef goes, you're right. You know, and you know how much tenderloin we buy a year? Oh my mm. God. It's like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they just saved 10% on the cost of tenderloin because they went from triple A to double A or maybe even more. But that's the secret is getting the other people involved. So our focus is food costs, but it's not just me, the chef, you know, it's everybody. Everybody that has a stake in that kind of landscape will want to play if you make it fun. Yeah. And then the 2080 rule just goes in so many things in finance. I think in general, when you look at your, you know, can you go on your labor budget, you know, 20% of your sales come from 20% of your people, blah, blah, blah. You can keep on yep. doing those. And that's, that's a raw, but it, that makes you start analyzing things in a different way. It gives you a framework for analyzing. And it's one of the things I've seen sometimes, David, as well, between we take, you know, food costs, labor and revenue. Often what I miss is that people don't connect these lines. They are almost one, oh no, no, food costs or food waste is a separate line. It's nothing to do with labor. It absolutely have because we need more labor to produce more food. The, the, yeah. so all, they're all connected. So how can you actually optimize by looking worked, at the system yeah. thinking of these? I, I, I worked in a hotel where we, you know, we had, we had downtime. We had, you know, seasonal operation basically. But, you know, it's very expensive to keep these places operating, especially the kitchens, when we don't have a big volume of business. But we all know we can't close all our restaurants or else we'll have no business, right? So we have to keep it going during the leaner times. But, you know, in this hotel, the chef would use the example of something like cut fruit. In the summertime, he would just be buying pails and pails and pails of cut fruit for the buffet because they didn't have time to, to chop it up and uh, didn't have room to chop it up, whatever. But in the winter, he needed to keep you know, the garmanger going. So what did he do? He stopped buying paled fruit and they were chopping it up and he would do the numbers and crunch it and go, you know, it's actually cheaper if I keep Maria here and uh, she's going to make some salads at lunch for the buffet, but she's also going to chop all of the uh, fruit that I, you know, would buy in high season paled. She's going to do it. Mm. And it's a perfect example of how, you know, labor cost, food cost, employee morale, Profitability are all completely linked. We got to think it all through. You know, it's all a big puzzle. It's all tied together by the same piece of string. How is, uh, in, in your terms, financial leadership or hospitality financial leadership connected with business strategy? Because often finance is the budget that's allow you to do things yeah. in the strategy, which is sometimes is a mistake in my view, because it actually, again, coming back to what we just talked about, it always connects, but what is, yeah. how does it work in your view when it's best? Well, <clears throat> there's a, a big disconnection in our business. And that is that, you know, one or two or three people in most hotels are the ones responsible for making up, propagating and delivering the numbers. So the rest of the managers are flying with their eyes closed. They don't know what the budget is. They don't know what the forecast is. So what we need to be able to do is reverse that and go, okay, well, you know, we're going to establish a policy where each department manager is responsible for creating their own budgets. They're responsible for writing their own commentary each month. They're responsible for doing the reforecast each month. We're no longer going to allow the director of finance to just dream up the numbers in camera and then, you know, dust them off and review them with the director of sales and get them approved by the GM and send them to corporate. We're not going to do that. We're going to slow the world down. Each manager is going to do their own budget this year. 
And I worked for a company where that was company policy that everybody had to do their own numbers. And if you were caught preparing your numbers in camera, you got your wrist slapped big time. And that's a perfect example of finance being, you know, pushed out into the organization and it meaning something because every new manager would prepare their budget and they would, their head would be spinning. They'd be like, David, what's this and what's that? And they would be running away and uh, not wanting to do it. But when the, when they would step into it, they would learn so much about their department and so much about the process. They were like nine times out of 10 liking it. Not, not a hundred percent of the time, because some people just don't have that aptitude or they don't want to have anything to do with it. Fine. But like you said, we want to find the ones that are keen and we want to work with them and develop them because, and I'm repeating myself, but a great hotel is the sum of its departments and each department needs to be able to manage their service, manage their colleagues and manage their budget, manage their payroll and expenses. Pretty and simple. It's quite interesting. My last bit of my ops leader career, I, I there was another book and at, at that time you hadn't read a book, but it was called Open Book Management and it's called The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack. And I don't know if you've read any of his work, but it's much about no. how you engage the frontline and your managers in understanding business. And when he talks about business, he talks about profitability, because if we do that, we can actually create that kind of culture everybody wants to be part of. So actually his mission was for everybody to be able to buy out their own home in, in Missouri, where he was from, uh, Springfield, Missouri. And it's an incredible book and as well, how you actually can get people engaged in numbers and they suddenly find out when I understand this, I can actually change things in my work. I can even get more resource to my department, da, 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 da. but actually it means that I need, as soon as I get this, I actually have prosperity as well. But again, he yeah. you just very explained, hard for them to learn the business in principle. Yeah, you, you just explained the whole purpose for, for my book. That's it. It's all about creating prosperity. And my, uh, my publisher actually owns those words, the rights to publish the words, The Prosperous. So he's published The, the Prosperous Coach. He's pro published The Prosperous Hip Hop Artist. And now he's published The Prosperous Hotelier. But you're absolutely right. That is what is possible. And, you know, hospitality is a tough business. Uh, and a lot of people work their whole lives and, you know, don't have that kind of prosperity. But I believe if you embrace your numbers along the lines of the book you were talking about with the other author, it's the same thing. You know, that's what's possible with with financial leadership and with knowing your numbers is much greater prosperity in life. And again, it's not about making a bigger salary necessarily. It's about having more time, it's about having more time to enjoy your life. And that's prosperity. And what book would you, besides your own book, uh, David, what book would you give out to people nine out of 10 times away as a present? The four agreements. The four agreements. Yeah. Who's yeah. the author? Oh, you got me there. It's, it's Raul's somebody, but it's an amazing book. And I do some leadership work with groups, small, small groups. Like I had a group of general managers this summer, three of us, yeah. we, 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 we did some workshops, not around numbers at all, but around leadership and the four agreements is just, it's a game changer because it really shows you what life is all about and, and the mistakes we keep making. 
So, you know, these four agreements are life-changing and they're really simple and they're really forgiving too, because the fourth agreement is, you know, every day we get to start over. So even if you screwed up yesterday, it's okay. You know, just dust yourself off and start over again. Anyways, that's, that's the book that I would give it. It's a great read. It's easy. You could read it in an afternoon and it's going to change your life, especially take those four agreements, put them on your refrigerator. So you see them every day. And, and because that's the thing is you forget. Okay. I actually don't think I've read that book. I definitely don't have it in my collection behind me over there. So okay. I'm definitely well, on, on something there. I can, it sounds like, uh, because, uh, it sounds like a book I need to read, like the, uh, the alchemist and all the, the classic books you need yeah. to read in life. I'm going to send um, you the Coles, the Coles notes version so you can read it in 20 minutes. Oh, well, that's even better. Even better, David. So what is your top advice for, for leaders right uh, out there right now? What should they do when it comes to finances? Well, it's kind of a, a big statement to make, but what I would say is make sure you're working for a company and an organization that embraces your development on all levels. Leadership is the key to having a successful career, being a good leader, being a good leader with your guests and your colleagues and your numbers. But if you're working for an organization that doesn't share the P&L or doesn't uh, want to invest in you, you know, take a look around. There's lots of people looking for new employees these days. Find the company that will develop you. Because, you know, again, I look at myself, like I work for a great company that developed their leaders and I'm one of them. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them investing in me. And I figured out, you know, maybe earlier on in my career that, they were willing to do that. And I stuck with them because of that. And that's really what hospitality is about. And so much of our world today is, you know, uh, private equity and profits for this quarter. So we forget about investing in our colleagues and our leaders and developing people. And people aren't going to come and for a summer and spend a lifetime if nobody's going to develop them. So if you're working for a company that's not looking after you and they don't have your back, find one that does. And it's so interesting what you said. I never thought about that. that way. If they don't want to show you the P&L, you probably have. And if I reflect the cut when it's gone wrong, it's definitely when you didn't have enough insight or you don't, you get a partial P&L yeah. to manage from. You know, I talk to people all the time. I talked to a general manager at a conference a few weeks ago. He says, you know, I got 16 hotels, David. I don't even let the GM see the numbers. I said, well, how do you think it would work? Or do you think it would work better if they knew what was in the P&L and that they had targets based on last year's actuals and this year's budgets? And just kind of looked at me like, you know, I had three heads, but I could see the wheels turning. He's, he could see for a second there that, you know, maybe he needs to let go of whatever it is that he's holding on to um, yeah. that tells him that he shouldn't share the numbers. It's, it's, I write a chapter about that in, in the book, and it's one of the biggest mistakes hotel companies make is not sharing the numbers with their managers. You don't have to share the whole thing if, if there's certain parts of it, but give them the, the departmental results, give them results up to GOP. Come on, get on with it, guys. That's a great note to, to finish this conversation on. Thank you so much, David, to, to come on the show again, share your wisdom, your insights, all your learnings from the book. Where can people connect with you? Well, thank you, Michael. I mean, thank you for, for all you do for our industry and your podcast is awesome. And, uh, you are a maverick indeed. And uh, I love that. 
But to connect with me, my website, hotelfinancialcoach.com. Send me an email, david at hotelfinancialcoach.com. And, you know, I, I reply to all my emails myself. I don't have that many yet, so hopefully it'll continue. But if you have questions, if people want, I'll give away some free stuff. Uh, uh, my my flow-through cheat sheet, uh, productivity trackers, and uh, all kinds of stuff. And go to my website. There's over 300 weeks of blogs and videos there you can watch for, for free and read for free. You can read for the rest of your life there. And go to my YouTube station. It's free. And I actually have an organized course that people can purchase online. It's in conjunction with the Alberta Hotel Association. It's a great course. It's very inexpensive. It's organized so that it'll take you through the learning in a logical format. And, you know, go to Amazon and, and type in The Prosperous Hotelier and get a copy of my book. I think it's still 30 bucks. I know my publisher sure it keeps increasing the price, but Amazon keeps increasing the discount. So they're in charge of the world, Amazon these days. But, you know, go get a copy of my book and read it and, you know, become more prosperous. Great, great, David. Thank you so much. And thank you for the kind words, uh, power and energy for the journey ahead. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate it or give it a review or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading books is key to become a great leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the books that have impacted the guests here on the show and myself over the years. Find it on Hospitality Mavericks website, hospitalitymavericks.com, under the reading list. A big thank you to BizTemply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bizsimply.com. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or my email, michael at hospitalitymaverick.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick!